Great. So turn to your, in your Bibles to Romans 8. Romans is found in the New Testament right after the book of Acts, which is right after the gospel of Luke. Or the gospel of John, sorry. Right after the Gospel of John. So your New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So turn to Romans 8. And our text today is found uh, in verses 29 through 30. I preached uh, from this chapter not too long ago. And I preached from verses 18 through 28. And the context there is is the sufferings, the groanings of, of creation, the groanings of believers, and the groanings of the Holy Spirit. And the whole context of this chapter is basically about life in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And today now, we're going to see in chapters 29 through 30, the sovereignty of God in salvation. The sovereignty of God in salvation. So God's control and power and salvation that he works salvation alone apart from any man any woman it's all God's work in salvation and just generally we're going to ask some questions and I'll just give some spoilers now why would God reveal this to us why would God reveal that he he foreknew people that he loved people from eternity and then chose them uh, as his people before the foundation world and then that he would call them, that he would justify them and glorify them. Why would God lay that whole plan of salvation out for us? And it's a legitimate question because a lot of people disagree on this text. And because it, it, there's mystery here. We can't fully understand it. But why would God reveal this to us? And I think if we look at the context that this is, this is right after the groanings of creation, the groanings of believers and the groanings of the Holy Spirit, right in the context of suffering and affliction, that God put these verses. I think we'll, we're going to come to find today that it's there to comfort believers, to comfort us to know that no matter what trials and afflictions and sufferings and even temptation and even times of sin that God might give you over to, that God, for those who are in Christ Jesus, will complete the work that he has started in your, in your heart and in your mind. He will preserve your life unto that great day when we will see Jesus face to face and be like him. And so with that, let us read God's word from verses 29 and 30. Again, this is, this is God's word. This is God's, God's holy and inspired word. I'll read that, verse 28, actually. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, in order that he might be, he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also 
justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So far we read from God's uh, holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And that is so true. This, this book has been the number one book throughout all of history. It's applied to everybody throughout all of history. It endures forever. So let us go to God in prayer asking for his spirit. Heavenly Father, we have just read your word. And your word is a two-edged sword. It cuts the heart, Lord. It divides. And we pray, Lord, that your word, not me, not a man, but your word will go forth, convicting the hearts of many of their sin, reminding those who believe that of the, the comfort and grace that you give in Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. And that those who do not believe, Lord, that today they will call upon your name, confessing their sin, Lord. And so, may your spirit go forth mightily today and do the work. Amen. The title of my message today is The Sovereignty of God in Salvation. The Sovereignty of God in Salvation. And again, what I mean by what sovereignty means, what I mean by that is God's control over salvation, God's work of salvation. He alone works salvation. Now, there are many who think that God saves those whom he, he foresaw in the future would believe in Jesus Christ. Those whom God foresaw would be worthy of grace. This is not a new belief, but this is something that goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. The people who believe this say God looked ahead and saw those who would believe. They say that predestination is this, that God knew from eternity who would come to believe in Jesus Christ. Those that would choose Jesus Christ for themselves, they say, that that because they believed in Jesus Christ, they made the right response to the gospel and then God chooses them as his, to save them. That's what what some people say. But this idea that God looked forward to what man would do is false. It's not what this text teaches. You see, it is false because it denies the title of my message. It denies the sovereignty of God in salvation. It puts God, who is above, and the creature here, he puts God underneath man at the service of man, you see. The people who teach this doctrine say that God waited on man, waited on man to see what man or woman or a woman would do. It makes salvation conditional, you see, rather than total totally undeserved by grace alone. But you see that chapter 8, of which we are considering today, what, what, is, what does it begin with? Look at verse 1 with me. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The context of, this, of these verses that we just read is no condemnation. No condemnation. So these verses deal with the security uh, of God's people. 
the security of their salvation. Where, where now does that, that security lie? Does that security lie in man's ability to choose Christ for themselves? Or does it lie in the sovereignty of God? I mean, we, we just sang, right, earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the fold of God. And we all, we all are prone to do that. I mean, I know I am prone every day to wander away from God, but I am amazed at how God keeps me through his providence, through his, his sovereignty, keeps me in the fold, reminding me through the preaching of the word, through the encouragement of the saints or, or scripture reading, God preserves me. If it were up to me, I would go headlong into death and destruction. And so the doctrine of which says God chose his people from eternity unto himself is the the correct uh, and true doctrine. It is taught throughout all of scripture. It teaches God's sovereignty in electing some before the foundation of the world. That those whom God foreknew or foreloved in eternity, he chose before the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of Christ. How does, how does God do this? Well, he does it by calling, calling his elect in time and history by the power of the Holy Spirit to Jesus Christ. That's how God does it. He calls people to Jesus Christ. And he, he uses means to do that. He uses the preaching of the word or he uses scripture reading, or he uses a track that you find in the garbage can, or a conversation with a friend. He, he uses means to call his people. And as we'll see later, there's, there's a difference. I can generally call people to repent and believe, but that, that doesn't do anything. It's the Holy Spirit who then uses the word of God and effectually calls some. Effectually, which means that it will work. He will call. It's unalterable, unchangeable. And, and so the, the text continues to show God's sovereignty and salvation by saying those whom God called, he also justifies or reconciles to himself in Jesus Christ. And finally, those whom he justified or reconciled to himself, he also glorified. That is, those he justifies shall gain the inheritance of eternal life and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In our text today, there are a few key words and phrases that are mentioned. The first is foreknew, foreknew. The second is predestined. The third uh, is a phrase, conformed to the image of the Son. All three of these terms or phrases, I'm going to just try to quickly explain to you today. Today. All will be explained and what will be shown, I hope, is the complete sovereignty of God in salvation. And then after that, we're going to touch on a few questions. The questions I I touched on before. Why did God reveal these truths? What is the purpose of telling us that God loved his people in eternity before the foundation of the world? What is the purpose of telling us that God chose his people before the foundation of the world? What is the purpose of telling us that he reconciles us to himself 
And what is the purpose of telling us that he will bring his people to glory? And so after the explanation of, of those three terms, we're going to deal with these questions. And I hope to see, uh, I hope to find an application, an application of comfort and joy. But first let us consider these terms. First let's look at the word foreknown. The word foreknown. Paul is teaching that predestination is based on the foreknowledge of God. God, God does not predestine a nameless group of people. He, he knows the people whom he is predestinating. The word here in Greek is proegno. Proegno. And you might notice that the latter part of that word, know, uh, is similar to a word gnosis or knowledge, Greek term for, for knowledge. Now, when you go to the doctor, what do you get? You, you get a prognosis, right? A doctor gives you a prognosis about your disease. That is, you have this intellectual awareness or a cognitive awareness of some reality that is going on in your body. But in addition to that, that intellectual awareness, that, that cognitive meaning, there is a deeper understanding of knowledge. I mean, think in Genesis where it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. Now, he did not just meet her and then she was pregnant, right? No, it, it takes a much more intimate type of knowledge. A f- the full measure of this, this word knowledge or to know. Think uh, just another helpful example of general revelation. God revealing himself generally to all people in creation. You go outside or you go to the, the Grand Canyon or you go to the end of Long Island and you just see these the beautiful beaches and you're just like, wow, there is a creator. The, the, the general revelation gives us a cognitive knowledge of God. We understand that there is a God. But we, we don't know his character by looking at creation. We don't know much about him. We just know that he's there. And by nature, that with that general revelation, we, we seek to destroy it. But we cannot eliminate it altogether. And so we are left without excuse. We cannot say we did not know God was there. Yet at the same time, uh, yet... All that is going on, like I said, the knowledge we receive from general revelation never rises to the level of a, a spiritual level or an apprehension or personal knowledge of God in a redemptive way. This, this redemptive knowledge of God, this spiritual knowledge of God only comes to us by the working of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and minds. Those whom he knew those whom he had prior knowledge of. Is this just a cognitive knowledge? Just an intellectual awareness of some people? No, it's not. There, there's much more content to this knowledge, much more than just intellectual assent. It is knowledge of God that, has, uh, that is redemptive, spiritual, and effective so that we could be so that his people could be conformed to the image of the Son. It, it's a personal knowledge. Knew his people and loved them, for loved them by name before the, the world was created. We can put it this way, as I've said before. Those whom he for loved, 
those whom he loved from eternity, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son. The next word I want us to look at is predestined, or in the Greek, pro-orizo, pro-orizo. It is a, a sovereign determination in which a fixed or definite limit is sovereignly decreed. A predestination is a sovereign determination in which, in which a fixed or definite limit is decreed. There is a, a destiny for, for certain people that God has chosen from eternity. He has, has done this and determined this in his sovereignty uh, out of the good pleasure of his will. And nowhere in Scripture, I might add, is there a condition based on human response by, by which God fixes from all eternity those whom he chooses to be redeemed? Nowhere. It's all unconditional. What then is the goal of predestination? Well, that leads to the, the third term, the third, third and final term, conformed to the image of his son. That, that's the goal of predestination, you see. All believers who are chosen from eternity for loved will be like Jesus in that they will have perfect bodies and will be basking in perfect peace and glory. All these believers who by nature justly deserved hell, all these believers will be like Jesus Christ. Their bodies will be glorified like Jesus' body. There won't be any difference between their body and Jesus' body. And think about it, a vast multitude will be like this. A vast multitude. I mean, I look out into the crowd and I see differences. This is, what a foretaste. But on that great day, when all of the, the, the sheep are separated from the goats, we're going to sing praises to God. We're going to look around. We're going to see every tribe, nation, and tongue represented, represented, looking like Jesus, being like Jesus. And so, you see here that, it, that it's all about Jesus, that, that it's all about him and his work, that you and I have been a part of this magnificent testimony of Jesus' work. And so Jesus is magnified as a saving God. It is his glory that we enter into. That the elect might be brought by God's grace into conformity with the Son of God. And, and if you read more of Paul's writing, you'll see that it's always brought back to Jesus Christ. He always relates his writings to Jesus Christ. It is never, he never discusses predestination or foreknowledge of God in the abstract, but always in relationship to Christ. That is what predestination is to, you see. And so, but... Now we must ask the question, why? Why predestination? Why does God predestine some to be in conformity to Jesus? Well, the verse, verse, the verse explains this. It says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. For Christ's sake, there is predestination. That he might see the, the suffering and the travail of his own soul and be satisfied. Christ did not die in vain. He did not offer a potential sacrifice. That is not what the God of Scripture teaches. 
but it is a God who has a sovereign purpose of salvation in mind. And he sends his son into the world to effect the atonement for a people. That they might be adopted into the family of God because God has sovereignly decreed that his people would come to Christ. It is for Christ's sake. And so you see, it is not about what human beings do to get to Jesus, but it is about God choosing and predestinating according to the good pleasure of his will. It is about God effectually drawing you to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Scripture teaches, all that the Father has given to me, come to me. But many people you see reverse this. They say that all who come to me, the Father will give to me. No, that is not it. It is all who the Father gives to Jesus that come to him. That is what the Bible teaches. But then you might say, as I might say, and begin to think that while God is choosing winners and losers, or is this just a, as one, one man put it when I was listening to some sermons on this, a divine lottery where God just picks and chooses. But the sovereignty of God and salvation is not by chance. But it is the good pleasure of his will. It is his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. Those whom God foreloved, loved from eternity, he predestined. But God must be unfair, you say. He chooses the fixed number of people. But God is not unfair. God is not unjust. Romans 19 verse, or 9 verse 15 says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. You see, humanity as a, as a whole deserves to go to hell. We all justly and rightly deserve to go to hell because we sinned in Adam and we sin actually every day in the sight of a holy and just God. We all deserve to go to hell. And so it was only by God's mercy and love that any are saved. And then you might think of what Paul says uh, in Romans. Does the clay have any right to answer back to the potter? So what we see in this text is, is an order of salvation, a logical order of salvation determined by God. God foreknew or foreloved. Then he predestined. Then those whom he predestined, the same ones, are also called. And those who are inwardly called by the Holy Spirit are also justified, are reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ. His work of taking their unrighteousness on his shoulders and then giving them, imputing to them his righteousness. And thus he reconciles them to God. And finally, those who are justified or reconciled to God are glorified. They are given the inheritance of eternal life. They are fully conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So we see a logical order, or as some theologians call it, a golden chain of salvation. A chain of links that are interconnected and unbreakable because of God's eternal decrees. decree. All whom God foreknows are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. God did not just predestinate some, or predestine 
and then call and then justify some who responded out of their free will. No, it is an effectual call, as I said. And it brings to pass what God determined, that those whom he calls by the Holy Spirit would be those whom he justifies. All of them. Not some, but all. Like I mentioned before, there's a general call, which is repent and believe. And this goes out promiscuously. This goes out to all the nations. But this call is different from the effectual call. The effectual call, worked by the Holy Spirit, works every time. Why? Because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, whereby he draws a sinner like you and me to Jesus Christ and unites them to Jesus Christ. A union which is unbreakable. This call always works. And we must all understand in our hearts, we truly must understand that it is foolish to think that we could come to God on our own. It is impossible. As I mentioned before and we sang earlier, man runs from God. Men and women, we run, we hide from him. And we are totally corrupted by nature. And it is complete, we are completely incapable of coming to God on our own. It is only by God's gracious drawing through the power of the Holy Spirit that people come to Jesus. It's not of the will or the running of men. And so, if you are justified before a holy God, you are safe. You are secure. If you know that you are in Christ Jesus by faith, if you are trusting Christ as your Savior, if you know Him as the one who died on the cross for your sins and gives you His righteousness, then Guess what? You cannot lose your salvation because of your sinful deeds. You cannot lose your salvation. But your salvation lies firmly and grounded in the sovereign and eternal forelove of God. That is amazing, isn't that? It's the most precious truth of God's preservation of the saints. This, le- this le- then leads to the questions that I said would, we would get to at the end. Why God revealed these truths to us? Why he revealed us telling us that he loved his people from eternity? That he chose them before the foundation of the world? That he reconciles us to himself and that they will be glorified? Why does he tell us these things? Well, God reveals these truths to us that we might be comforted. You see, As I mentioned earlier, I gave it away, but the text that we looked at today, verses 29 through 30, are in the middle of what? They're in the middle of groanings. Our groanings, the creation's groanings, the Holy Spirit's groanings. The text is smack dab right in the middle of the painful sufferings of humanity. The trials of of life that we all face each and every day. The trials that makes us groan on our bed. The trials that keep us awake at night when we can't fall asleep. This text is for you in the middle of those sufferings and trials. God reveals these things to us that we might have hope. That we might know in the midst of our sufferings and trials that we, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, will come out on the other side in the end. 
God wants his people to be assured of their salvation in Jesus Christ. Assured to, be, to have certainty of faith. And he doesn't want that certainty to be located in what you do every day. He doesn't want your certainty of salvation to be rooted in your works. Certainly there is a place to, to see, to reflect, to examine yourself and to say, you know, have, has, has God worked in my life? Have, have I grown in holiness? For sure. But guess what? If you look there, if you solely look at your works, you are going to despair. And the great theologian Martin Luther, that's what happened to him. He would sit for hours in the confession with the, the, the priest, eight to nine hours a day. And those priests thought he was nuts. But he was confessing every little sin. He was despairing. But that's the Roman, Roman Catholic doctrine that you, you had to, the priest had to make intercession for you. And so he sat there confessing and they're saying, can you just get over it? But you see, it's true. I've experienced this in my life too. Men who, who withhold the gospel of grace from their people, the pure gospel of grace that says salvation is unconditional, they withhold that and then their sheep go unfed and they despair. They don't have comfort. They don't have peace of conscience because the minister is not showing them Christ and telling them, apprehend him. When you look at your sin, take 10 looks at Christ, as another theologian said. And so it is horrible, horrible, horribly wicked when, when men and women withhold Christ from people and say, yeah, Christ, but you gotta meet all of these standards. And I'm not saying that you don't have to that organically faith in Christ will result in fruit. I'm not saying that that's not true. But I'm saying the assurance of your salvation lies solely in Jesus Christ, in the, the eternal decree of God's election, that God knew you before the foundation of the world, before you even had consciousness, before, you know what I mean, before the world was created, God knew you and he loved you. And he wants us to know that this salvation is fully realized only as we go through suffering and affliction. The same suffering and affliction that Jesus Christ himself went through. That one day, as we go through that suffering and affliction, we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're, we're sharing in his sufferings, you see. We, and then we will be like him, and we will have new bodies, and we will be in glory with him. And then on that day, guess what? Who's going to get all the glory? Jesus will get all the glory as his suffering and death will be proven not in vain as he stands with all his brothers and sisters in glory. And how many people have come throughout history that have tried to say that his death was in vain, that he was just a man or that he didn't exist or that you're foolish for trusting in, in blind faith, people say, in a savior. What amazingness that God will be proven right in the end and that our faith will be sight and that all knees will bow. So as you go through your hardships, I don't know them all, but we, we listed some. The, the, the hardships of uh, uh, needing guidance in your life, the hardships of your mother's back pain, um, the guidance of maybe straying away from the Lord, 
or the, the, the sufferings of knowing someone who has a brain tumor. Don't think, that these, don't think of these hardships as strange. Do not despair, but understand that God has ordained it from eternity that you would go through these trials so that you might one day be fully, completely conformed to the image of Christ. Think of silver and gold. How are they purified? They're purified through fire, through heat. In the Old Testament imagery is is circumcision, the circumcision of a heart, the cutting away of the flesh. That's painful. It's only through the pain that you will, and suffering that you will be refined. So we have to, we have to change, have a paradigm shift that sees that God sort of, he flips the table, that the, the sufferings and trials and the, the, that we go through, that those are, in a sense, and I know this is hard to look at it this way, but in a sense, they're gifts from God because God is using them for our good. Think about Joseph. In Genesis 52.20, one of my favorite verses, confronted with his brothers who sold him into slavery, and he says, what you meant for evil against me, God meant for good. So we have to see the bigger picture here. And it's not to excuse sin or, or whatever, but it's to see that how we respond to the trials and sufferings and sin in our life is critical because there's something far greater going on. There's the guy in the control room, God who's working it for the good of all believers and namely for his glory. And so, praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Let's, let's go to God in prayer and just ask that he would apply this scripture to our heart. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time where we were able to open up your word. I pray that it was, would be a blessing to all who have, have read the scripture reading and heard the message I gave, Lord. And I pray, I, I'm weak and, and frail and my writing of sermons is maybe it's not always that great. But Lord, I pray that we would take something away from here and be comforted here that you, the, those who believe in Christ, know Christ as their Savior, that they would be comforted knowing that you foreloved them from eternity, that you predestined, that you chose them before the foundation of the world and that you justified, you called them and justified them, and one day they will be glorified, Lord. And that we might then just be able to rest today on the Sabbath day, and then every day, rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus alone, and quit our striving, quit, quit our working. Just rest in, in what he has accomplished, your plan from eternity. Lord, and those who do not do not know that you're do not know you yet, that they would see that this life is here today, gone tomorrow, and that all is vanity apart from you, and that they would repent of their sins, and that they would come to you. Work your spirit to do that mighty work, Lord. Amen. Let's respond to God now after hearing the word of his word. Let's respond to God.